listeners, and welcome back to This Week in Black History, Society, and Culture, a podcast of the Black and African Diaspora Forum of Monmouth University. I'm Dr. Marianne Rett, your host today. On the podcast, we have Dr. Trevor Getz, professor of African and World History at San Francisco State University and author of, among a wide range of works on African, world, and imperial history, the 2015 Oxford University Press graphic history, Abena and the Important Men. Today, Dr. Getz will share his insights into the intersection of comics, race, and world history. While Dr. Getz's extensive work in a variety of media, written, documentary, and comic, are impressive, it is his scholarly and pedagogical fusion of the fields of comics and history upon which we will focus today. During today's conversation, we will discuss in part the work Trevor has been extensively involved with on the newly launched World History Project, part of the larger Open Education Resource Project, or OER, which includes the World History Project and the earlier Big History Project. With the OER project, Trevor has helped usher in a new series of graphic biographies, amuse-bouche, as it were, of world historical personages often forgotten and overlooked by traditional history texts. Trevor, thank you again for agreeing to talk with me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. That was a very kind intro and also the most accurate description of the OER project I've heard in, in a long time. So thank you. Excellent. I'm, I'm glad that I was able to do that. Well, I definitely want to spend some time talking about the OER project. I think let's first start maybe with uh, Abena and your really your first foyer into the, the sort of fusion of comics and world history. Um, and I was just wondering if you would be willing to share with us some of the thoughts that went into your um, initial formulation of the text and who the audience was you imagined would be reading and, and viewing the material when it was done. Yeah, I, I, that's a really, I'm not just saying this, that's a really great question to start with because uh because of course uh, that's what drives a project like this. I'm a big I'm a big believer that that the hardest part of doing history is carrying out your responsibility both to the subjects of your of, of the work you're doing, people in the past uh, whose lives you're trying to explain or represent, and and the audience that you're creating for. I mean, that's what historians do. We interpret between these uh, uh, groups. Um, to be truthful, Abena and the Important Men started out for my class in, in African history at San Francisco State, um, a diverse class, but uh, generally, especially uh, back a decade ago, I want to start to work on this, not with a large number of African students. Um, uh, now there are many more uh, Nigerian Americans and Ethiopian Americans at San Francisco State. But at the time, I, I wanted to explain to my class, I wanted to, to help them understand two lessons. Uh, and I literally mean for the 30, the 30 students sitting in front of me, I wanted them to understand um, how history can silence uh, and how historians can, can read for voices, um, can uncover voices that otherwise have been hidden by the process of the exercise of power, voices like this young woman, uh, Abena Mansa. And also, I think, to, to, to help them understand how colonialism operated. And so I went, I, went through my, I went through my documents that I was working on for various projects at the time. And this transcript had always stood out 
to me for the for the you know 15 years before I started to work on this project, it had stood out as an example of somebody who was um, in a in a subordinated position but wanted their voice to be heard and was trying to um, speak their truth. Um, and if we listened carefully enough, we could hear it. So it was really for for those 30 students in my class uh, at first. Um, and only over time did I start to really recognize a wider audience, I guess you would say. It's interesting listening to you talk about the the sort of missing voices, I think, in the historical record, because that seems to be what motivated the choices you and the other creators have um, made with regard to the OER graphic biographies. Um, and, you know, choosing these voices that are otherwise, you know, often forgotten. I mean, obviously you have Edmund Burke um, in, in the mix. So there's definitely a voice here or there that we've, we've heard from before. But there are a lot of uh, narratives that are probably going to be very new. And in particular, I'm thinking about how these voices, either the graphic biographies or Abena herself, how these voices help us understand this this concept of race in a more nuanced way. And then beyond that, how doing that through the graphic style also adds to that. Do you have thoughts on those? I have so many thoughts, I'm not even <laughs> sure how to organize them, uh, to be truthful. Um, well, I want to start I want to start briefly with Nick Susanis' work. Nick Nick is one of the um Nick is one of the people who's really uh, guided my work and his book Unflattening is important to me. Um and and Unflattening actually starts by arguing that academia and sort of high culture has has flattened all the ways that people usually express themselves into just writing. I I love writing. I got nothing against writing. But that um, there are different ways that people communicate that have value that we've kind of uh, forgotten about or sidelined. Um, and one of these is drawing. Um, and, and comics in particular, which brings together these modes of drawing and, and, and writing. And it's interesting to me that when teachers, and there are many teachers, adopt graphic um, uh, texts for their classroom, the first thing they say is that students are engaged with them. Um, and at first I rebelled against that. I thought, oh, so we're just saying that they're entertaining. But of course, if students don't engage with material, they don't learn from it. Uh, so, right. So, so that, so, so that's, I think, really important. And, 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 and many students who are most engaged with it are students who don't otherwise engage with their texts. Um, so what are they seeing in it? Right. And, and there's a, a, a research out there about especially what native comic readers, um, people who, read comics as children, how they see comics as opposed to um, those of us who come to it older. And they, they, are, they are seeing things. They are searching for things that are familiar to them. They are seeing things that, that in, this, in this, especially in this multimedia age of um, empowered youth who know how to navigate different kinds of media, can, can speak to them. Uh, and that's important. I find comics to be potentially intensely democratic. I say potentially because there's a problem with comics as well, which is that they can be expensive to produce. And and you need a lot of skills to produce them well. You need some writing skills. You need some art skills. You need to understand um, how things work. You need to be able to reach publishers. And 
you know, so there are obstacles, there are obstacles, but, but potentially people can speak to their, their experiences. And when, when we have students create in the classroom, we get incredible, we get incredible reflection and incredible stuff. And this is what, this is what teachers find that students who are loath to write essays um, can create in sophisticated ways using comics. Um, so I think they're quite empowering, actually. I would very much agree with you. And I I wonder if not only to your point about the expense and um, the the access question, if there's also the potential for uh, a, a host of tropes and, and symbols to be accessible to some populations and not to others. Um, and if that holds an audience back um, from being able to engage to return to your, your point earlier. No, I think, I think this is, I think this is a, this is a very fair point. And so, um, so yeah, right. So, so what do we do and what do we think about this? Uh, You know, um, vernacular comics, comics coming out of um, non-academic settings, comics coming from independent houses um, can be, Pretty fantastic, uh, pretty accessible, pretty diverse, but there's certainly a hierarchy of um, of power within the with, with, within the publishing world, and so we do get we do get quite a lot of um, focus here in the U.S. on uh, particular types of art, particular uh, ways of expressing and, and 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 strategies. I will say that if you look if you look out there and you know you start collecting from around the world, um, you see some pretty amazing stuff. Uh, that's you see you know Thai comics are very are very specific. Um, Japanese comics, the way they do these emanata, the way they they show movement and things like that, and are very different from from the French style, for example. And you know um, this can mean that some students aren't aren't engaged or some readers aren't engaged, but, but, but there's also, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, experimentation in the field. You know, Rodney Barnes who produced Boondocks started his own publication house to pull out, put out Philadelphia and other really, you know, black horror um, and black uh, zombie uh, uh, styles. Um, There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, diversity in the way that comics are done, but I agree that, the power structures are such that um, certain styles are preference, certain messages are, are are exclusive. Is that uh, a pitch for that the global dialogue that world history gives us um, to start looking for comics that are that are published and, and created outside of uh, the epicenters of the U.S. and the U.K. Particularly, uh, yeah. so, sorry, you were going to say particularly. It was just in the English speaking world, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I mean, I mean, well, the first thing I want to say is if you go to freelancer or guru.com, you see diasporic artists, artists from around the world who are, um, who are, who are great artists who are trying to pitch, you know, that they'll do a page for $20, $30, which is far too low for them to be paid. Um, and, and in some ways, uh, I think it's wonderful to see them. In some ways, I think it's great that the internet has empowered them. Um, on the other hand, uh, I feel desperately sad that um, that they're not financially supported to do the kind of creative work that they could do. You know, I Mills Media, which is run by Jesse Sankwa Mills in Accra in Ghana, put out recently uh, Asantiwa about 
the great queen mother, Yaa Santiwa. Um, and um, it, it was an, it's an incredible adaptation. It's a, it's a, it's, it, 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 it's a Bruce Lee uh, style um, um, uh, Marvel comic style story about a queen mother who fought against colonialism. And I would love to see more of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, there's so much good work coming out of South Africa um, Coney Benson's Crossroads, the Trontral brothers as artists, can it gain purchase in larger markets? Uh, I don't know. I guess we'll see. I really, I really hope so. I, I also want to mention that there's a great website, cartoonistsofcolor.com, that really showcases the work of a diverse set of cartoonists. Um, and, you know, when I'm talking to folks and looking for Artists to address these sorts of questions, I often go there um, to look for them. This dovetails really well with um, some questions I had for you later on about, you know, what you use in the classroom. And just before we we head into that part of the, the question, these sources, I think the democratization that you're talking about, mm. again, the Internet probably um, gives a great a great deal of power to that, right? That we do now have more access to these Ghanaian or South African or, or what have you comics um, that we probably wouldn't have had before. Do you find access still difficult or is it getting easier? Well, you know, I think, I think there are a lot of logistical issues um, to think about uh, that uh, make it difficult to publish and produce uh, work. You know, um, some of my favorite uh, cartoonists uh, who do co- uh, political cartoons often um, uh, on the African continent, uh, folks like Bright, Bright Aqua in Ghana, um, they uh, produce incredible stuff. They ha- find it much more difficult to get equipment that a cartoonist in the U.S. would, 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 would get quite easily. Um, you know, that's changing to some degree, of course, uh, in Africa in particular, as Africa in some ways leaps ahead technologically. Um, but so far, it's still, I, I think it's still, it's still quite difficult. Um, so you, I see a lot of action happening. But the other thing I don't know is whether the work that's being produced is, is making money for the creators. Uh, I don't know yet. And that's, you know, something I think dearly to be hoped for. Potentially, re- uh, history repeating itself again because, of mm. course, early creators, even in this country, were often paid poorly, uh, and, and, and 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 that's not even as bad as Japan, where you know manga artists are just paid nothing um, to to just churn out page after page, yeah, and and reams of paper, <laughs> particularly when we talk about manga, right? Right. I guess to to kind of carry on with this. Um, at uh, San Francisco State, you guys have recently begun a minor in comic studies. Um, I believe it started a couple of years ago. And th- this spring, you're going to be teaching or already are. I'm not sure if you've started your semester yet. Uh, at history through comics. So I was wondering if you'd be willing to tell us a little bit about your class and then more so the, the types of materials you have the students read and work with. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, the comic studies minor, which I've been involved in since it started, is in many ways um, Nick Susanis's, uh, uh genius. Um, many of us uh, from across different disciplines have become involved. We teach classes on 
on things like manga and, and anime but, and, and Afro, um, Afrofuturism, but also on med- medicine and comics. Um, I teach this class that's called Teaching History Through Comics. It combines uh, history, um, comics, and, and teaching. Um, and what students do is we work through a number of texts, actually developing lesson plans that could be used in, 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 a, in, in a classroom. Um, so we work, you know, at the beginning, I do most of the work for them, and they are, are, are very much uh, sort of regimented learners in some ways, learning how to create lesson plans, learning how to think about what a history course is all about, learning um, about comics um, and, and, and how they can be read and what the pedagogy theory is around them. And then they, they take off and they do it all on their own. I assign uh, mostly world history texts. It's, it's been taught by Lisa Jackson, um, who uh, works mostly in sort of uh, U.S., uh, I think, Silver Age and Gold Age uh, comics, and she teaches it more U.S.-focused uh, when she does. But I, I, I focus on sort of world history, although students can use um, for their for their final big lesson plan, they can use a U.S. text. Um, and I'll just say, uh, finally, that I, I, I assign a lot of Japanese uh, comics. Um, I assign Lee Kun Wu's A Chinese Life, which is one of my favorite uh, comics, serious comics of all time, I have to say. Uh, incredible work. Um, and I, I usually assign Mouse which I think retains its strength and which um, helps us to understand quite a lot about history and memory. Um, and then the students are on their own. I, I stop teaching and I do some unteaching and I'm just there to help them develop their lesson plans on whatever, whatever uh, graphic history they find. It seems going by the examples you've just listed that, that we see at least in a lot of modern works, comics are an excellent voice for the marginalized voices um, in history. The the groups who are um, either from the global South or otherwise disenfranchised disenfranchised politically or culturally or non-traditional in a very weak way of saying it. Do you ever get pushback from your students on these these texts um and if not are they are they happy to have these voices you know what what is the student response like and is it do you think unique to the san francisco setting or do you think it's sort of a statement about the universality of comics Mm. i mean i think i think i think that's a very good a very good question um i mean i'll start by saying that uh I never get pushback from my students uh, in that class. They're a self-selected group, probably. Okay. Uh, you know, in many ways, and most of them know what they're getting into uh, when, when when they come in. You know, um, I, I I've gotten pushback from colleagues in the past. Um, less 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 about the fact that these books are are, are often from uh, the global south or from outside the U.S. as um, just sort of disdaining the whole medium um, of the comic as, as a teaching medium. Uh, but m- my, my students seem to embrace this. Now, what, what does happen is that students self-divide along a different axis. And I find this very interesting in that some students very much only believe that you should teach history with a text that is clearly uh, focused on something that actually happened or historical um, and others, others want to know what Marvel text or what DC text can I use um, 
to teach an analogy uh, about history. And, you know, I, I, I find myself mentoring these students a lot um, because it, I agree with them in many ways. Um, one of the best lesson plans I ever got used Avatar the Last Airbender as an analogy for teaching about the colonization of the Philippines. Filipino-American student, uh, that's what he wanted to do. Um, and, uh, and he did the work that you've got to do to develop a lesson plan around that, which meant that he really thought about how do I help the students understand this is fiction, this is something historical, um, but we can use the one as a window for the other uh, and really think about where those analogies are and really discuss sort of what is the line between fiction and nonfiction. And, and I must admit, I love when that line gets pushed out and blurred in a sort of intellectual way. It was a great lesson plan, but many of my students would never think about doing that. They want to use the graphic diary of Anne Frank. They want to use uh, Persepolis. They want to use something that strikes them as a, as a more serious history, if you will. Have you questioned them as to why uh, they, what, what they think the the quote unquote more serious history graphic histories give that the ones that are fictional that you have to use as analogies deny. Yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, that's a fantastic. I, I think that's that's a fantastic argument for a usable past because we 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 actually live in in a world of of, of histories of stories in our mind that we tell about the past, right? And, and you know, when we start with, one of the reasons I love to start with Mouse, Mouse is often taught as a story about the Holocaust. I think that's uh, the wrong way to teach it. Mouse is a story about uh, a, a man and his father struggling with the legacy of the Holocaust and memory and intergenerational conflict. And uh, as such, um, it's a really rich way to, uh, approach the whole question of what is the past and how do we live with it rather than necessarily just what happened um, with the Holocaust. And it gives us access to the thing that you can do with graphic novels that's so important, which is you can read the art for meaning. Um, because Arch Spiegelman, uh, his, his pages are filled with meaning that isn't just the words on the page. Um, it's, 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 he is, he is, he is struggling. His father bleeds history. He's struggling with it. Fun home, you know, Alison Bechtel's fun home. Uh, students have done fantastic uh, work around that. Fun home, you know, it seems like just a, a personal memoir. Um, but again, it's about uh, how we struggle with the past uh, and struggle to make meaning uh, of it. And, and you know, you can, you can approach these questions and really pull apart her pages. And that's, that's, the, kind of work we, that's the kind of work we really want to do. Uh, so we have these debates. Some students are unconvinced. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> well, I I want to take your class, but um, before I get the opportunity to do that, I, I do want to ask, you know, talking about the, the visuals as sort of crucial to telling the story. And I don't know how much of the older eras, you know, the um, platinum age, for lack of a better word, or the golden age comics, even outside the U.S., you bring into your classes. But of course, the visuals and the representation of people, you know, whether they be mm -hmm. white or black or Asian or what have you, 
has changed rather dramatically in the last hundred years. Mm-hmm. And, and that's an important historical narrative um, that we can, can pick apart in our classes and in our, in our writing. Have your students tackled that? Have you tackled that? And, and if so, how? Yeah, so we do. I mean, you know, where do we where do we start? Do we start with Tintin in the Congo, right? <laughs> you know, um, right, <laughs> right. Um, but uh, well, you know, and 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 I must say, you know, folks like Lisa Jackson, um, who who does work especially around depictions of gender, you know, in these nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties comics, uh, which are which which are quite amazing. Or um, you know, where where would I start? I would start with. Uh, um, having students watch Watchmen and then read back to reading Watchmen, and then you know reading back, you know these things are all about um, and telling us about what's what's shifted in the way that we think about um, and look at race. Yeah, you know if you're going to really read comics and you're going to read backwards, you're going to discover some stuff that doesn't you know sit well with um, uh, where we are today. I, I think there's a couple of things here. The first is that um, with like with all history classes, we teach contextualization. The comic is not just a de- depiction of something. It's an artifact of a moment in the past, right? And so what, what, what is it telling us about that society at that moment in the past? And I will say that, you know, even the most innocuous comics sometimes show a real kind of rebellion against the society as well as just reproducing its, its, its tropes. And the second thing I'll say is that we're teaching students to have an alterity of, of perspective, right? Um, historical empathy, if you will. Which is to say, we want them to put themselves in, 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 in some other shoes. Uh, you know, as a creator of a graphic history, I, I hope that they put themselves in Avina Mansa's shoes and they understand what she was saying. But uh, in that book, I deal just as much with the fact that I have this power, that I'm creating the narrative. And, you know, to some degree, I want them to critically put themselves in my shoes and say, why did Getz do this? And... And so that's, you know, that's the teaching of, that's, that's the teaching of histories. Uh, I think most importantly is to, to help them to see these things. Now, when I have students who want to do Tintin in the land of the Bolsheviks <laughs> or Tintin in the Congo or something like that, you know, uh, we, that's what we work through in the second half of the class where I'm unteaching. We work through. So, you know, and very often what they say is the lesson that I actually want to teach them is, what was colonialism all about? And by, you know, having them look through Tintin's eyes, through Herge's eyes, they can, they can really see what people, what the colonizer's mindset was. Which can be a very useful tool. And we can also pull that same sort of conversation when we have our students read something like Barefoot Gen um, and to see um, the Japanese story, you know, of World War II through the Japanese perspective, um, which doesn't dovetail at all with the perspective that was being produced, say, in this country at the same time. Right. I mean, I must say one of the the debates that sometimes arises when I teach that book in, in, in my class, or not arises, that we, we kind of engineer is, is the question of, um, so, you know, wh- why, why, why was the bomb dropped and um, what was its impact? And uh, students, there are still many students who have never questioned the, the dropping of the nuclear bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, never thought of it critically. And, and, and what, what, what the, the assignment that I actually do when we, we do that book, one of the assignments, we, we do these sort of test assignments that where we're pretending, like, what would we do if we were developing a class around this book? And 
Um, we have students uh, design um, an exhibit. We, we look at the actual exhibit for the Enola Gay and the Smithsonian and the debate over it during the history wars of the 80s. Um, mm-hmm. And then we say, how would you design an, an exhibit around the dropping of the bomb? Um, would it be about a, a temple? Would it be a forum? Would it engage debate? Would it honor those who died? Would it honor the servicemen who fought? You know, what would it do? And, and um, in many ways, Barefoot again opens that up to them to seeing you know, seeing what was going on from a non-American perspective. Yeah. Absolutely. And as a, as a trained Africanist, I'm, I'm wondering, um, returning to your, your very lengthy list of creators out of Africa, if you use any of those sources in, maybe not in the teaching class, but in maybe some of your other classes. Yeah. Do you have to teach a visual literacy element or are African comics building on a quote unquote more traditional node, um, say the French style or the American style of comics and therefore the visual literacy sort of can translate to reading those comics? Yeah, well, I I do think, well, so first of all, I always teach visual literacy when I'm using a comic. Um, but uh, but but the more specific question is: Is it a different visual literacy in this case? Look, I, I'll I'll say that so far, I think. Well, you know, like the, the, the Trontral brothers um, and and you know, Coney Benson's Crossroads, which is about the crossroads struggles in Cape Town, um, and the artists are the are the Trontral brothers. They have a pretty distinctive feel to them, but. It still largely remains this sort of six or nine panel page. Um, Luke Mulver's Shocker Rising, um, again, coming out of South Africa, somewhat similar. Um, I mentioned Mills Media, that work generally looks very superhero-ish uh, in, in some ways. I haven't identified for sub-Saharan Africa in the in the comics medium as opposed to the political cartoon medium I haven't identified a real sort of very um, distinctive or alternate way of doing things the way that you would see if you were comparing, you know, Italian fumetti to to manga, for example. But that may be because I'm not observant. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I seriously doubt that's the case. It it strikes me, but again, you know, not being an, an expert in the field, it strikes me that African comics seem to be relatively new on the 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 stage and i have kind of become increasingly intrigued by you know when did they start to really emerge and what helped to propel them forward is it part of the decolonization process is it you know capturing something that the french colonists or the the english colonists left behind is it trying to make a place for themselves in the world in a relatively accessible way. Uh, have you have you given any thought to this particular element of history? Yeah, I mean, I'm very, it's, it's something I'm very interested in. And I will say that I think, um, you know, there are moments we can see nodes growing, have, you know, uh, in, in the 90s, there was some sort of sense that uh, health education could happen through comics in the, you know, in, in, in Africa. And so we see, various comics being commissioned and et cetera. You know, I, I look, I think, it, I think it's very hard. I think um, 
if, if I go back to a Chinese life for a moment, Lee Kun Wu, yeah. um, you know, this is uh, this is China, you know, for gosh sakes. And yet Lee Kun Wu and Lee Kun Wu is an artist who self-trained as a youth to do picture after picture of Chairman Mao, because that's what you did if you were a youth in the 50s and you were an artist. Um, but his comic style is is deeply influenced by his collaborator, Philip Otier, and it's very French, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if I look at Chinese comics, I see just a few influences, manga, French, um, and to some degree Thai. I'm not sure why Thai comics are so distinctive, but they are. All over the world, uh, there are certain sort of, you know, powerful styles. And, you know, these are the super, the American superhero style, the, the, the French bon dessiné style and, and, and the manga style. And that's probably shifting, but I don't think it has shifted yet. I don't think. And, and the other thing is just, you know, it's just, it's just money. It's mm. African comics. Who's going to buy them? You know, there isn't, there is, of course, Africa has the fastest growing middle class, um, but it's not there yet to where there's a large enough group of people who have the disposable cash to buy comics and choose to use it to buy comics. So I think that that holds things back as well. Uh, As opposed to African film, which of course is very distinctive and very much is something that the middle class consumes. So maybe that's the first step and that the comics will follow. I guess I, I, I should ask when we talk about African comics, are we talking about floppies or are we talking about digital more than the other, one or the other. By and large, for local consumption, we get a well. I, you know, I, I I don't know. You know, when I bought a Santiwa, I got digital, and 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 Jesse Sanqua Mills had also um, he had also produced them as 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 floppy. You know, thirty six pages. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think that I think I think there are some, but most of it is most of it is digital. It's just those those production costs of printing something on paper. And the distribution costs just add so much cost to it. And Africa is a digital continent, right? People have jumped over uh, a lot of intermediate, intermediate media and moved straight to, you know, I've got a, I've got a smartphone and I can, uh, I can read things on my smartphone. Which is, I think, another one of those elements that is useful for our students, particularly to learn as they're assessing, you know, these variations across the world that. You know, I get a lot of pushback from my students when I ask them to read a digital comic, Um, (laughs) you know, which is sort of amazing um, to say. But nevertheless, they they still want the paper. I'm I'm with with them, of course. I mean, (laughs) but I'm old, right? I'm 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 old. And um, and Africa is also a young continent with a very large uh, young population. And um, so I wouldn't be surprised that those who are who who are going to pay for comics are going to um, be quite happy to do it in a digital in a digital format. Yeah, um, I want to return just briefly. You you've mentioned Thai comics a couple of times now, and I I will have to admit my complete lack of knowledge about Thai comics. Um, you mentioned there at the end that that there's something unique about them. Can you elaborate on that, or give us some examples maybe of of works that you've come across? Oh, you know, I, I follow people who are who are scholars in Thai comics and who post things on Facebook. I'm I'm gonna fail. <laughs> I'm gonna fail at this question. Um, it's like like you know, like right now, I'm furiously Facebooking uh, to try to find my friends who work in Thai comics to uh, 
Um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot like this. Uh, no, no, that, no, that's very good. Um, that's very good. You know, um, so Nicholas Verstappen works in, uh, in 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 Thai comics and has been publishing a lot of them um, recently. He's at he's at a university I can uh, barely uh, name Chula Longorn. And I think the important thing is that um, if you are Facebook friends with him, you will see him pointing out Thai comics that I never knew existed that are, I think, uh, really um, stylistically very different from um, from Japanese comics or, or, or other comics. You know, I mean, one of the interesting things about 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 comics from that part of the world um, is that uh, they developed in part in a Cold War context. Mm. Um, and in fact, I, I mean, you know, uh, even 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 the CIA was sponsoring uh, popular comics and and animated shows, apparently, that were anti-communist, but but very much with local creators. And so uh, I think it's quite distinctive. Who knows? I was just going to say, again, showing us just the, the breadth and depth of, of the global comics um, world, you know, that, that there's so much more variation than just those three nodes that we kind of yeah. tend to go back to. That's right. There's this, there's this enormous uh, variation, but it's clear that funding and power are concentrated in clumps. Absolutely. But we are starting to, I think you're making it very clear, we're starting to hear not only in terms of the creators, but of the stories that are being told from the voices that had for so long been neglected in this medium and are getting to tell their own story instead of having it told through the the sort of tropes and and stereotypes of someone else correct yeah i i I think so and you know i i want to highlight that as things move into the classroom that that is to say as as teachers get permission or or fight for permission to use comics in their classroom one of the interesting things i'm seeing is teachers as real heroes of the struggle because teachers want their students to see and experience people who they can relate to, mm-hmm. um, who look like them, et cetera. And, you know, I work with a lot of teachers. Um, those teachers are, are constantly looking for ways that students can find their way into the course and see that it reflects them and, 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 and see that uh, the histories that are being told are histories that are meaningful for them. Um, and, uh, and, and those teachers are, I think, you know, doing an incredible job. I, you know, I'll just I'll just highlight. I think New York City is doing an incredible job with this. Um, I think you know comics have been written into the new passports curriculum. New York Board of Education, although he's ever so humble, Joe Schmidt, who does social studies for that for, for the city of New York, has here, been here. Well, yeah, I, I mean, you know, he never he never he he probably like blushed to be mentioned, but um, uh, he believes very strongly that, that it's an authentic way. It's an authentic and scholarly and intellectual way to engage New York's very diverse, you know, students. And, and I think he's right. And I'm hoping that that keeps pushing um, in this country, especially uh, at first, for a large enough market for really creators uh, around the world who have something to say to kind of, you know, get their work published. Could agree more. Trevor, I have monopolized too much of your time already as it is. Um, I have cannot tell you how much I appreciate this. And as you know, I would love to just sit here and talk with you for the rest of the day. 
Um, But I do want to thank you so much for joining me today for This Week in Black History, Society, and Culture, a podcast of the Black and African Diaspora Forum of Monmouth University. My pleasure. And I'm such a big fan of your work. So, you know, it's always a pleasure to chat.